If you're a church leader, you know that volunteers are busy. They're always on the go. So trying to get them into a room for training is next to impossible. The brand new version of Ministry Grid gives you the ability to meet your people where they are and train anyone, anywhere, at any time. With a new mobile-friendly design, Ministry Grid puts training in the pockets of those who need it, wherever they are and whenever it's convenient for them. Ministry Grid also offers 750 courses for every role in your church so that you can use it right out of the box or customize it by adding your own content to complement what we have already put together. To get started for free, just go to ministrygrid.com. Once again, that's ministrygrid.com. Now, enjoy our podcast. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and I'm here with Daniel M. Hello, hello. And the infamous Trevor Wax. Infamous. He really infamous. is. Really? Yeah. It's better than Boy Wonder. I was going to go Boy Wonder. Yes. Yeah, I like Infamous. Bit, That's fine. Uh, okay. Yeah, when Let's I, stick with that. Hey, Let's man, when, that. when I was interviewing here three and a half years ago, and I was like, hey, who, who do I need to learn from? Who do I need to talk to? Your name, Trevin, came up over and over and oh, over Oh, that again. makes We're me nervous. Feeling like you need to learn. In fact, about Trevin is in part responsible for why I'm here. Do oh, I didn't know that. you want to account for that, Trevin? No, I did. I came, I came here before you did, and Eric Geiger had us go to lunch together, and I think... He wanted feedback on what I thought of you, and he wanted feedback from you of what he thought of me. So it was yes. one of these things where I was already at Lifeway, and we were I was, we were trying to get you here, kind of. Yes. So basically, Eric <laughs> stacked the deck. He had me meet with Faith Watley. Oh, amazing leader. Who is yes. sunshine uh, and... And rainbows. <laughs> and rainbows and steel. Yes. <laughs> um, totally true. You just... You just totally uh, true. Once you get past the sunshine, you're like, oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, and Trevin, and I think Michael Kelly. He 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 basically set me up to think, oh, here's the awesome people that you're going to get to work with. And actually, I and we've did get to. to work with yeah, all these people. It's been great. I came back from that lunch, and I said to Eric, I said, uh, I, I want if I come here, I, I want him on my team. And he's like, no, I already got. You guys were stuff like pl- pretty much next me, to each other office-wise for a little we bit. Were, yeah. We were in a building that is no longer no there, longer. but we were for a long time. Yeah. It's kind of hard to see the building collapse in over the it weekend. Is. Yes. That was, it was epic. Brutal. And it was epic. epic. You know, there was like a gut punch the very first time I saw it on the live stream, but then like the third or fourth time, like the inner kid in me was just like, this yeah. is awesome. Well, okay. <laughs> you know? So my, we had just come back from Canada when, when yeah. it had taken place. So all our luggage was still out. So my son, after watching that, he's three year, three years old. He goes upstairs to the big luggage and goes, boom, 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 boom. And he knocks the <laughs> wow. luggage over. <laughs> that's serious. That is serious. You could hear the explosions before oh, the yes. building yeah. fell. That's, a lo- a that's, long time, that's actually. Bump, bump, bump. I, at one point, I was like, is it actually going to come yeah, down? Yeah, <laughs> And it did. Yeah, it did. Okay, so if you don't know who Trevin is, go to Gospel Coalition, The Gospel Coalition, and read his blog. Uh, if you are, if there's some crazy event that happened that's in the news that people are talking about, uh, go look at his blog because odds are he's breaking it down for you in in how you might possibly process this from a theological perspective. Uh, he also leads our CSB brand, which is the Christian Standard Bible. 
It's standard right. for all Christians. You should take a look at it if you have not already. <laughs> I don't think that's a part of the... No, but you can say whatever you want, <laughs> yeah. Todd. Just keep going. He doesn't Just care. keep going. He doesn't care. No, I would say uh, check out the Charles Spurgeon Bible if you're a dude and check out the She Reads Truth Bible if you're a girl and uh, and go from there. You, you, my friend, have taken what people in the printing industry considered a commodity. Some people print Bibles like they're a commodity, which makes me slightly ill, and I'm sure you can hopefully hear that yeah. in my voice. You have taken that and through art, paper, texture, binding, um, you guys are producing really, really great Bibles, uh, and, and so I'm excited about that. But he's not here to talk about Bibles today. No, uh, not exactly. And he's not talking here. about the Gospel Project either, no. which you didn't talk about. Oh, Gospel Project, yes. So uh, Trevin has his hands in a few things. Um, and his podcast, which is amazing. Yeah, dude, word I, matters. Yeah, dude, I love if you. It, so everyone listening, if you so, like a podcast so good. that goes through some of the difficult, more contested verses of the Bible, where it's like people have these crazy different views— Brandon Smith and I go through and we just, we lay them out, Hash talk out. through the different views. Sometimes we come, we're like on the same page. Yeah. Sometimes he's wrong and I'm right. You know, it's just, it's that kind of and a thing. And sometimes Brandon uh, doesn't want to take a <laughs> yeah. side. That, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That sounds and sometimes Brandon. I don't and he, yeah. he gets onto me and like, met all right, all right, all right. People want to hear um, what is going on in our culture. So I invited Trevin because he, uh, in connection with Lifeway Research and in connection with his blog and in connection with all the writing he does, including a very good book. Very good. You going to remember the, the title? The title? Of course I remember the title. This is our time. Um, because it's... Uh, is there it, theme music that goes with that? No, I and like I, did not, I had not even seen The Goonies at the time that I wrote, <laughs> at the, did the title. Time. Yes, and that's what... I don't know how many people after the book started getting some traction, people were on Twitter, like, did you, were you thinking of The Goonies when you titled this? I was totally. like, uh, no, no, sorry. Not really. <laughs> it would have yeah. been really cool if I yeah. were, but no. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's breaking down through... You know, one of my favorite uh, books from seminary was uh, Gonzalez Christian History. Story of Christianity. Yeah. yeah. Mm. That's a because he he imparts so much information in a narrative form. Yeah. And just it makes it uh, compelling, easy entertaining, yeah. easy to digest. And I think that's what you, you did with Hope This so. Is Our Time. Hope so. So um, without further ado, we want to walk through some of the questions that might be coming through people's minds. So. We, we've just gotten uh, some research in the last six months or so that we're excited to, to share with people and kind of want to walk through, you know, the state of the church. Um, so I want to use that through our five questions framework. And so the first question is, what's the bad news? Yeah, so you, you start with bad news and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this around in a minute. I'm going to give you some news to show you, well, there's, I guess this is bad news when you think of it as a headline, but there may be some some good news on the other a side. Silver of this. lining, a silver lining, or at least something that. Are you trying to work in no silver hope-filled. bullets right now? Is that what, <laughs> what you're trying what to do? Did you say no silver bullets? No, I didn't. I didn't <laughs> bring that up. Go ahead. Um, so, but I, I think if you're if you're looking at overall headlines for Christianity in the church and in 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 our society, uh, a lot of the bad news that has been out the last couple of years really is um, a decline in the percentage of people in the United States 
who identify as Christian. Mm. So um, again, now I'm going to make some caveats here. That's a percentage, not a number. Uh, the number of Christians in America is higher than it's ever before been, but that's also because the population in America right. continues to grow and is really high. Uh, but as that's a, a per- good distingu- yeah, that's, it is, that's and good. and even now people are like, oh, evangelical Christians, it's like you know you guys are are declining. Well, evangelicals are actually barely keeping up with population growth, but are pretty steady. Um, in in the percent okay. in the percentage numbers wise, it's actually a bit more evangelicals now than ever before in our history. But percentage wise, it's barely keeping up with population growth. But Christians as a whole, there has been a pretty a pretty staunch decline. So mm. back in about ten years ago, seventy seven percent or so of Americans self identified as Christian. Wow. Um, and and who what falls in under that? That would be, I mean, all the different denominations of Christian, um, Protestant, Protestant, Catholic, Catholic, Orthodox, African-American congregations, evangelicals, all of those. So 70, 77, almost 78% were Christian. 10 years ago said we're we're Christian. Uh, Seven years after that, this is 2014, we'll see more data coming up in a couple of years. In 2014, same survey, same kind of thing, only 70%. Okay. So that's a pretty significant drop. And so a lot of the headlines and a lot of things you see from a bad news standpoint is um, a, a smaller percentage of Americans are actually are are identifying as Christian. So I then still, the, I still can't believe 70% identify as Christian though. Well, you got to think I mean, about you got to think about the loose, US as a whole. Yeah. Uh, you're 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 from Canada. Yeah. So <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely not <laughs> Definitely that. different in Canada. No, Canada is much further along kind of like Western Europe yeah. in the in terms of secularization. Um America is still a deeply religious mm. um uh, country overall, but the the percentage has declined pretty pretty strongly. Now, the, the so then the question is, well where where are those did they all convert to Buddhism or to Islam mm-hmm. or like where, where what's going go? on? What did you say? Where'd they go? Yeah. where do they go? So, and it's interesting. Um, you see a corresponding increase of people who are identifying as I'm nothing. Okay. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have a religious affiliation at all. So the, all a lot of the headlines in the bad news is Christianity rapidly declining. And then there's the rise of the nuns, not the Catholic nuns, but the N O N E <laughs> nuns, the, those that are, no, I, that's, that's good. They're, they're checking nuns. That is good. Yeah. Cause I was, cause the for a long time, taking over, for <laughs> ball bats and yeah. The first time I heard Ed Spencer talking about that, I was like, yeah, what is the rise of the about? nuns? <laughs> Sounds like a bad, <laughs> a, an like, apocalyptic movie. It's like the, the Handmaid's Tale. You know, they're all over the place. They're taking over. Yeah, the nuns. <laughs> yeah. So we're talking about N O N E S. Those that click none on the on the survey. So that's bad news. And I mean, there's other there's other aspects of this. Bad news is when you look at the the surveys. Um, probably there there's the vast majority of Americans don't don't read the Bible. They're not, they're even, even those that are Christian don't read the Bible. So you've got that as an issue too. So I I'd say if I'm going to lay out bad news from, from the headline standpoint, I would say that's it. Even though you're about to ask me another question. No, well, uh, before just, we ask, uh, I'll yeah. let Daniel ask the second question because I'm supposed to, but so I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> Rules. Rules. Okay. okay. Rules. <laughs> not one of the official five. In five no, this is questions. a follow-up question. Okay. Uh, okay. That would be, are there any monks well, declining as well? <laughs> <Just> declining. <laughs> no. Are there, uh, are, 
are there any um, breakdown in age demographic or anything? Is there anything that you would say, oh, you should really be aware of this or this is surprising? Good, good point. Um, so younger people tend to be less religious in their practice in their practice than older people just across the board in every generation. Um, but up until now, a lot of those younger people still claimed a Christian identity. In other words, let's say in the, let, if we were to rewind back into the 70s, 80s, 90s, okay, and you were to talk to people in their 20s, um, most of them on the survey would still check Christian of some sort, Baptist, right. Methodist, Lutheran, Episcopalian, you know, mm -hmm. Christian of some sort, but may not be attending church or practicing in any way, but would still claim that label. Right. Today, if you look at the generational backdrop, what you have is you have a large number of millennials. I'm in part of this generation as well. A lot of our generation is not, they're, they're not, not only are they not practicing, they're also not identifying. Yeah. Okay. And that is different. That is different from previous generations that were less religious in their practice, but still claimed a religious affiliation. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Well, let's go to the second question then. We talked about what the bad news was. Well, then what's the good news? Okay, well, the, the good news on, on this and— Jesus um, yeah. died for you. That yes, Todd, the gospel, the gospel the good news. is always good news. All right, go ahead. I think that's a good answer. Should we just move on? <laughs> yeah, all right, so what's broken? <laughs> no, 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 let's go back, go back, go back. Okay, so the good news on the—I don't want to leave everyone with, oh, my word, the you know, the whole country is going secular. Um what I think is the good news of this is, uh, first, let's go back to what I said about the Bible. Few people read it. Americans still have a really high regard for the Bible. Mm. Uh, some of LifeWay Research's uh, recent data on this, and Barna as well has done uh, some research on this. Um, uh, uh, overall, Americans have a very positive view of the Bible. Mm. More than half of Americans believe it's the inspired and errant word of God, mm. right? So, um, and then even, mm. even there, the... When, when when asked to describe the Bible, the vast majority of Americans give what I'd say are positive descriptions. Like it, this is it's a helpful book. It's a book of wisdom. It's a book of virtues. It's a book of you know that helps you. Um, uh, it, it's a good source for morals and things like yeah, that. Judge not lest you be judged. There's very few, <laughs> very few actually are like hostile or okay. or in some way are saying, oh, the Bible is a bigoted, harmful, repressive book. Even that's, though a lot of times that's what gets the press. Of right? course it gets the press because yeah. you're saying something about the most famous, most influential book in the world, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so the good news of this for the church is um, there are a lot of people in your communities that may be religiously unaffiliated and religiously unengaged who would still have a high view of the book you're going to be preaching from. Yeah. So they still think it's the inerrant word of God. They just don't pay attention to it. Yes. They reject, or they, or they, they reject they, the Bible, not because they of contradictions or anything, no. but because it contradicts the way they Or because live. they just have not read it. They might not be, they yeah. may be unfamiliar with it. That may be why, but they, they have a high view of it because it's, it's almost like, you know how I, I hesitate to compare the Bible to like pop culture, but you know, <laughs> you know how, you? you know how there are some movies and music and things where they may not even be all that great, but everybody has a high view of it just because everybody else thinks the movie is right. absolutely fantastic. You know what I'm saying? I think a lot of people kind of put the Bible in that category. Like, okay. I don't really read that. Just like I've never really watched that show or I've never, but it must be awesome because everybody says it's, yeah, you know, okay. it's just been, it's such a, I think a lot of people have that view of the Bible. And the good news of that is 
people in your community, if you're a pastor, the Bible's the best thing you've got going for you. Yeah. So don't don't give short shrift to that. That's yeah. Well, a, well, especially as it relates to evangelism and just conversations, sp- having spiritual conversations with your neighbors, especially if the Bible is, you know, one of the first things, you know, because yes. it's so highly regarded. Maybe even having questions about that. Right. Yeah. The Bible is it, it's it's that that touch point, that starting point of a conversation that's, that's really good. Um, what the good news is, for, so if that's good news for the Bible for the the whole rise of the nuns thing, um, th- the good news here is I would say um, clarity, mm. clarity that you, there are some places, you know, where cultural Christianity has been really rooted in, and there have been people that are not, not truly practicing Christians, but have, you know, grandma was a Methodist. So that's yeah. what I'm checking on the survey kind of a thing. Um, there, for, for a long time and some, some people in, in places in the Bible belt and other places in our culture will understand exactly what I'm talking about. There are a lot of just, it's just sort of in the culture, just everybody's a Christian. Cause that's just kind of what everybody is yeah. without it actually being a true heartfelt thing. Um, and so it can be difficult to do evangelism and to do to have good conversations, spiritual conversations with people who already think of themselves as Christians. <laughs> yeah, but when, are, yeah, when are actually. not actually, it's actually easier. I've had church planting friends tell me in other places in the country where there's just no, like almost everybody they talk to is a one of the the nuns. You know, they they say it's actually easier to have to start and have the spiritual oh, conversation because yeah. you. They're, they're not, there's no question. These people are like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not religious. I'm not a Christian. Right. Yeah, I could, I pretend. Could, yeah. I totally attest to that too, because one of the biggest things that I've had to learn how to do after moving to Nashville, because I serve as a teaching pastor <laughs> yes. at my church is, is I, I was buckle. used to preaching, not Dallas, always yeah. knowing that there are like non-Christians right. as a part of the church. But down here, I have to, I had to shift the way that I preach because everyone thinks they're Christian. Yes. And even newcomers that come in, they think they're Christian too. So yeah. it's just, you got to, even though you know, we all know that not everyone is. <laughs> yeah, you have to get people yeah. unsaved before you can exactly, get them saved. Exactly. That's so it's, it's so different. Yeah. yeah. Very different. And yeah. so, and there's a, there's a level of clarity there that mm. I think is a, is a good news thing because I think, I think there, there is, I'm not saying it's, those conversations are easier. They, they may take a long time, but there's a level of clarity that you, you can kind of cut through some of that confusion. Yeah. That's good. All right. Let's move on. What is broken with leadership in the church? Can I, am I refinishing this question? Like oh, this we're is gonna, good. We should just go what, word at a time. What, yeah. I'm, what I'm gonna is broken? <laughs> in the I remember that game. It's a great yeah. game. Okay. Mike Wait, I got one before that because you mentioned that you know sometimes there's things that are really. Is this a, is this another follow up? Yeah. Okay. I'm you only said, answering five. So what are you? Okay. Out? You said this is the. You said. Um, you know, there's movies and there's things everybody say <laughs> yeah. really great, but yes. they're overrated and you feel like you have to watch it just because. What's the most highly overrated movie? Oh, I was wondering, know. yeah. What I would say? Yeah. Would I, you know. And what were you, because you were thinking in your eyes, okay, you I, were thinking about okay, something. Okay, this is, I'm going to, I'm going to get in trouble. You're going to, I'm going to have haters. I know, this is why, this, okay. this is going to be good. So Karina and I, we, for years and years, we, I mean, you've heard and I've read about them in books and Don Corleone, The Godfather. This is this classic movie trilogy. Al Pacino. The whole. Yeah, there, there we go. See, people know it. And so I like we, we I, I DVR'd it off of like TNT or one of these things, one of these cable shows. And I was like, well, okay, we've got to watch. I was like, Karina, we've got to watch The Godfather because everybody's watched The Godfather. We watched like 
40 minutes of The Godfather and I was like, you know, I think I get the character. I think I get what this is. I'm not going to watch anymore. This is kind of boring, actually. I can't believe this movie yeah. is actually that high. Well, rated. you do know that we now have uh, shorter attention spans than Goldfish. So the fact <laughs> uh, what are you that, saying about me, Daniel? <laughs> no, I'm saying as a culture, if you look at Star Wars, com- you know, the, the, the newest to, yes, one that's right, that's compared right. to the original... I mean, the the talking scenes, the scenes, yeah. it's just so slow. Compared you know, to, yeah, yeah, that's true. Compared to today, so, yeah. That's true. That's us. And now, okay, that's going to bring me to the other question, though. You talk about Star Wars. Uh, what is broken in leadership? In leadership, in the church, and well, in leadership in general, we, our country is engulfed by nostalgia. The mm. idea, the affinity for um, a golden era of the past. And you oh, see this so everywhere. This. It's all over the place. It's in it's in pop culture. I mean, you talk about Star Wars. Like there are some people, it doesn't matter how great J.J. Abrams may do the new Star Wars because it's not the original. It it's it's never going to, yeah, okay. to to live up to that standard. And even if The Force Awakens is basically the plot of a new hope, which is like <laughs> the, part of the definition of nostalgia and decadence in a culture is just yeah. this sort of re- repetitiveness of uh, I mean, they're doing a reboot of Roseanne. Uh, really? I mean, yes. Oh, man. Yes. Stranger Things, of course, kind of plays into that. That's a um, yeah. a, a show that's well, gotten a lot well, of... Well, and plus your recent blog post, the one that you wrote about... Christian subculture. Christian, yeah, yeah, Christian subculture. So yeah. is there going to be another band as good as DC Talk? <laughs> Will <laughs> the there Christian ever one? be? Will they ever get back together? <laughs> well, they basically <laughs> overtook all of Christian music. So I don't... I mean, by splitting yeah. up, they yeah, kind of... I guess so. T- but... Um, and and I, not all nostalgia is bad. I mean, there is something about classics. and di- But when it comes to church and leadership, why I would say this is broken mm. is there are a lot of people who, for them, that is the fuel. Um, there, it's, the, it's the nostalgia for a better era. And it's the idea that if only I had been a leader in this other time, things would have been going a lot smoother and a lot. Mm. It is a, it's an idealized view of the past that keeps us from really being faithful in the present. Hmm. And that is that every generation has its challenges. Um, and by idealizing the past, you you wind up um, blinding yourself to opportunities that you have right in front of you. And so nostalgia, when it creeps into a church, it 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 can it can begin to steal hope away from people. And then people move into maintenance mode instead of mission mode. Yeah. We just if we can just hold on to what we've got, we're doing okay. Mm. Rather than are we really moving forward? Are we really making a, a bigger impact? Are we seizing the opportunities that we have in this in this particular time? You so, know, if we just had three chairs up on the stage, this thrones, church would not grow chairs, thrones. <laughs> okay, but but okay, but how does how does someone know that they're enamored by or that their the leadership is kind of driven by nostalgia? Like, how do you grow in self awareness about that? Well, you, um, okay, I think a lot of pastors know when their church members are there yeah. because they yeah. hear and, and, it, and it tends to be, oh, it's the older crowd; they're holding us back. They're kind of um, that. I think a lot of times blame gets shifted to, oh, the older generation just won't do what we want to have done. But I think there are a lot of pastors as well who get into certain ways of thinking. Yeah. It's the patterns of thinking that are nostalgic rather than necessarily bringing back this color carpet yeah, or okay. bringing back this kind of song. It's the it's the pattern of thinking of this is the method that we used here and this is what happened. We, we need to just re-implement this and this will happen again. In the inability to really break out of a pattern and to kind of see the situation afresh. 
some of the things that have, have happened and that worked really well in previous generations worked well because they were they were they were very contextual. Yeah. They were the people that were coming up with certain methods, certain programs, certain things saw their particular context and developed something particularly around that. Yeah, it was timely. It's very timely. Yeah. At the time it was very timely. Yeah. But to but those those kinds of methods can lead to a yeah. a pattern of thinking that can can hold us back. Yeah, which on the flip side is why sometimes those who are nostalgic will sometimes say to the younger leaders coming up, "Oh, it didn't I tried that. It didn't work." Yes. And and that annoys me and it frustrates me because that that that's actually tied into what you're saying. Absolutely. Too. And just because it didn't work then doesn't mean it's not going to work now. Yes. Right? And and some things that may have worked. So some things that may have worked may may no longer work. At the same time, there are things that may not have worked at one point that would actually yeah. uh, catch hold. Yeah. So you've got to know your context. A few tweaks. So. Yes. You know, I've faced that uh, numerous times that we've, oh, we've, we've done this. I know exactly what you're doing. I'm like, no, here are the, diff- they, they can't even see the differences yeah. between what they did and what you're doing. They, they're just so focused on, yeah. especially if it was a big disaster. Yeah. Um, True. I've run into that several yeah. times. Exactly. All right. Well, let's get into our fourth or seventh question or whatever it was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's working? Um, okay, this is gonna sound like I'm backtracking because I just was like down on nostalgia, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna mention that one of the things that I'm seeing that's encouraging in evangelical circles and in in, in lots of churches in America, there is a sense of um, we need to return to roots mm. and we need to be rooted in something that is deeper and more ancient than just the um, sort of the movement we've we've grown up in. And that return to roots is not a, it's not nostalgic in the sense of we lived through this era in the 1970s and 80s. It's, it's much deeper than that. It's mm. whether it's the Reformation, whether it's the patristic, the early church area, era, it's basically looking back to the past saying, you know what, there are people that have, there's a, we stand in a long line of people who have, who have, um, been faithful in different ways over the centuries, over the the millennia. So what can we retrieve from the past that is actually going to help us move forward into the future? Okay. I I see I see people asking that question in a way that is um it is actually um compelling and interesting to non-Christians as well. Mm. Because instead of the church then just sort of being this flash in the pan thing that's just out there and ready to just meet a particular need. Um, it's something that is rooted in a culture that is shifting really yeah. rapidly. And so that becomes part of the attraction. So so it's kind of, if I hear you correctly, it's this not 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 a return to like, you know, a decade ago or two decades ago no. to certain methods, but maybe more towards s- certain spiritual disciplines or to liturgy, yeah. maybe? Is it like, is sometimes, that what you're talking about? Sometimes it's elements of liturgy okay. that are in a more modernized. I mean, again, okay. I'm not, I'm yeah. not okay. talking about a full sale, like return to another era of the past. It's yeah. a retrieval. Okay. From the book, if you look at church history like a treasure box, yeah. look at history, it's a treasure box, not a map. Yeah. Some people look at church history like a map. Do exactly what these people did, and this will happen. That is not what happens because contextually things change. Yeah, that's true. But you can look back at church history as a treasure box and get some things out that are okay. going to help you in the journey. So I would say, you know, we we certainly call upon that when we look at training. Because if you look at 30 years ago, church practice shifted. 
you know, I can go on yes. my diatribe of that. But when you look at liturgy, it's all about scope and sequence, really. Yep. It's saying, hey, I'm I'm taking people on a specific journey with specific destinations along the way. Um, so it's uh, it, it's a, a shift in thinking to make sure that we're doing that. So we do the same thing. We're saying, hey, um, we're, we're as strong as we are as a church because of our uh, systems and processes and scope and sequence, not because of some growth strategy. It was we knew where we wanted to take people and walk them through. So if, if you look at things from ye olden times, like training union or doing training on Sunday nights in churches, no matter what denomination you come from, that was a common practice. And when church practice shifted, we lost some of that scope and sequence of specifically walking people through things because that usually doesn't happen on Sunday morning. On Sunday morning, it tends right. to be either um, topical or scripture-based. We're walking through a specific book. And we may come, oh, we, we may look at things through the course of a year, but you know, even research that we've done in that with Discipleship in Context and Michael Kelly and what, what they do, we see that the vast majority of preachers spend their time in seven books of the Bible. Yeah. So there's there's all kinds of we should have Michael Kelly on to talk yeah, about we some should. Of that. Well, and but you you've talked about training and methods changing in the last 30 years or something, but that, those methods weren't inventing training. Training has been and no. that's the cool thing is that you guys are actually in what you're doing, you you're looking even beyond the last 30 years. Training's been Jesus. going on, yeah, since the <laughs> master plan of evangelism and discipleship, right? So you've got this you there's a long line of trainers that have led the have, have been doing work yeah. of discipleship in the church for generations. That's where nostalgia trips us up though, is that we think this is the only way training gets done. And that's where we have to go back sometimes in order to go forward and say, no, we're actually tapping into what the people 30 years ago that were doing training union were tapping into. We made yeah, we're okay. tapping into it in a different way. Yeah, so that's good. so um but last call before I move to our last question. Any, anything else that you'd say, oh, this is really working, I want to highlight that? I think those, that's the big thing. I know we're running out of time, but I, All right. I, I think that's something that is going to be increasingly important. All right. Trevin, what is coming in 2018? <laughs> I was thinking, in the year 2018. I am not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. <laughs> Or the grandson. Of a no. <laughs> so I, it's hard to know. Every year has been a little surprising <laughs> lately. Um, I, I think culturally, I think we're going to see, we're continuing to see increased polarization. I don't see that changing. I think fragmentation continues to be a real problem. And I, one of the big issues we face in the, in the country right now is um, the kind of social media climate and attention span and just the way news is doubted um, yeah. in, in so many different spheres based on where it's coming from and all sorts of things that I, I think I think we're in for some really interesting um, fragmentation as a culture. So the question is, how will the church be able to move forward in that? How in the church will people who have very different ideas and views on on a number of things be able to, um, to, to show something that is unique and that stands out and that is unified in a world that just doesn't have much a world that's really fracturing, not over, you know, we've always had divisions and we've always, we've had divisions in the past about how to achieve the good life and how government helps achieve the good life and how Hollywood and different spheres of life build into or take away from our vision of the good life. 
where where we're challenged right now is that other everyone has a different vision of what the good life is. Mm. We're not even agreed on that. And so it's hard to really have conversations about, you know, are there places we can compromise? Are there places we can come together? Are there places we can maybe partner with different kinds of people to move forward to uh, to reach a certain end? If you don't agree on what the end is, no. That's what's really, really hard. And so I think in 2018, we're going to see more of the same in that regard. Um, unless there's an external threat that sort of that that leads all of the country to 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 join together in a real show of solidarity in a certain way, um, I don't I don't see that fragmentation getting any better. Hmm. So sorry to be a little pessimistic there, but that's that's what I see in the future. Well, okay, I'm going to ask you a, a a practical question, and you and Daniel, if you if you want. Uh, how does someone who has these political factions in their church, so whether it's immigration, what yep. like whatever, whatever issue you want to pick, um, I can guarantee you that there are listeners in their church that have people that see these things through political lenses, yep. and they would be more than happy to use their church as a vehicle or their place in their uh, in the church as a vehicle to impart their views in some political thing. So you might have one one faction of, in, in the same church, you might have one faction of the church that says we need to stand up against immigration and another one like, no, we need to take everyone. We need to, you know, like how does someone effectively navigate that or preach through that? Because I know you both speak on a regular basis at your churches. Yeah, Daniel, you want to start on that as as the uh, Canadian, yeah, the Canadian <laughs> in the room. Uh, my, yeah, my wife's an immigrant, so I have experience there too. But. Yeah, I'm an immigrant. Uh, yeah, don't <laughs> cast all that. immigrants out. Yeah, you got, you got more than you realize. When you that question. <laughs> or I won't be on this podcast anymore. Uh, or the new churches one. No, um, you know, I think part of it is just really call. I, in light of that, I really love calling and preaching about the kingdom. Because the kingdom of God is a, it's, it exists, it's here, but it's not fully here, right? And when we talk about our longings for, indiv some individuals longing for a political party to be their savior, or, you know, they're longing for a, a certain celebrity or, or their job, you know, these are idols that they have placed that are real, that can really only be satisfied and fulfilled through Jesus Christ and really come to fulfillment through the kingdom of God. So I think part of it is how do we, get beyond what we just see right now with the political division in the country and go toward the future, not yet. Yeah. Um, and that I was going to say something similar to the fact you've got to transcend yeah. the, the current debate with, with, um, with teaching that is going to, to point to the kingdom. Um, I, I would encourage a pastor in that situation and I'm, I'm a teaching pastor too. And we've got, you know, we have a, a English speaking and a, um, a Spanish speaking mm -hmm. service with our within our own congregation. Um, first, first, you got to say, okay, regardless of your views of immigration, refugees, whatever, as to how strict those guidelines should be or how loose they should be, um, we are called to love the people that are next door, yeah. that are in our community, that are that are we're called to love our neighbors. Mm -hmm. So get everyone on the same page there. Like I don't, whatever your views of immigration are. You're called to love the, yeah, the, 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 the immigrant in your community, regardless of how they got there and whatever. And, I, and it's amazing because the Holy Spirit, I think, is, is the key. But th that, that right there brings a lot of unity because you can have people on different sides of the immigration debate 
all recognize, yes, we know we're called to love our neighbors. I mean, Jesus calls us to, so we're, we're called to help the, the refugee among us, yeah. whether or not we think they should have gotten here, you know, yeah. but we're, we're called to help them when they're, when they're our neighbor. So, uh, and you've got plenty of biblical, clear biblical teaching about that. So you start local. Um, the church is not going to solve all of the complex questions around immigration. And it is complex. I was just listening to a couple of episodes of This American Life, the podcast recently, where they went to this little town in Alabama that had an influx of immigration. And they did all these studies. And, you know, there there was increased crime, but at the same time, the economy grew because it's just very, it's very complicated in how it all, and how this all works out. And so anybody that thinks it's completely not complicated, whether on the right or the left, whether it's sort of a open up the door to everyone or to, you know, keep everyone out, um, is is not is not seeing the complexity of the issue and why yeah. it is such an intractable conversation. So the church is not going to solve that, and you as a pastor are not going to solve that in the pulpit. Mm-hmm. So what do you need to do? Transcend by going to the kingdom, like Daniel said, making sure that the local focus of who it is you're serving in your community is there. And then when you can give some principles and guidelines that would lead people to think biblically about this, this issue without hard, fast, um, um, necessarily, necessarily taking a political position and baptizing it in Christian, in Christian language. I think people have got to be careful on both the right and the left for how they do that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, think, I think the principle there is, I mean, part of it is if you think an issue is straightforward, it's likely you don't know enough about it because the more you know about something, the, the, the more you actually realize how much there is to know and how much you don't know. And why it's such a a difficult, why it's such a difficult issue. I mean, the more you get, the deeper you get into the conversations about the, the details of immigration, the more you realize this is really a a very difficult, a difficult problem. So Again, you know, don't be careful not to use Bible passages to push, uh, even Bible passages about about how we would treat immigrants and sojourners among us, with you know, conversations about border security. I mean, some people, some people, the way they use Bible passage, I yeah. think they would be against all borders. On the other hand, some way, I, you know, Nehemiah's wall. Uh, around, around the city is not is not actually about immigration. You know, yeah. like that. You know what I mean. So on both sides, sometimes there's this turn to the Bible to make, uh, and, and I think we actually undermine Scripture when we do that. We got to be very, very careful. Yeah, we sure do. So anyway. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening so much. Uh, if you've enjoyed some of what you heard today, I would say uh, please pick up a copy of This Is Our Time. Please set it set it um, on top of your Christian Standard Bible on your bedside table. Thanks for listening.